Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the pod. Welcome back to Crunch Time with the Big Three. I'm Keegan Turnbow, hosting today's episode. I'm joined today by Sam Johnson and Tanner Dislin. The best sports event of the year is now behind us. Let's take a look at that. Who is our champion? Who lost and why? That and more here on episode 48 of Crunch Time. The Kansas City Jayhawks, or <laughs> if you're the NCAA commissioner, are the champions of the NCAA men's basketball tournament. That's kind of wild, isn't it? The president of, of the NCAA, the Kansas City Jayhawks. I have no words, to be honest. <laughs> I really have no idea where that came from. Uh, Maybe just an auto-trigger response where you, uh, where you say Kansas, you follow it up with City. I, I have no idea. Uh, but not a good look for the NCAA, who's not the you know not the most squeaky clean organization out there, and yet again, putting on a, a terrible look for for the fans. So, uh, I wish I could say I was shocked. This is the blue blood invitational. We all know the teams that are here, and a bad look. But anyways, the Kansas Jayhawks are the champions, making a massive comeback over North Carolina, the largest comeback in the history of the NCAA tournament championship. When you when it was at halftime, take me inside your mind at that point of the game. What were you thinking the rest of the championship was going to be like when North Carolina was up 15 and a half? I tell you, I didn't count Kansas out. I mean, this is something we'd seen in the past, right? They have put together some of the best second halves throughout the tournament. And knowing that this was a second half team, there was still a little hope that they would come back and make this a game. And that's obviously exactly what they did. They needed to make some big changes and they went ahead and did that uh, most notably in their offensive performance and what their offensive philosophy was. I mean, the first half was literally exactly how UNC wanted to play it. Lots in the half court, very slow paced. And UNC was able to get the ball to their bigs, with their back to the basket. Armando Baycott playing with his back to the basket is exactly how he's comfortable. And Kansas didn't thrive that way. That was the way UNC wanted to play, and it showed in the first half. Yeah, Sam, what were your thoughts when UNC is up 15? The thing that I knew, because Kansas cannot make a layup if their life depended on it in the first half, and – I think a lot of that contributed just being nervous as anybody would on that big of a stage. But like Tanner said, Kansas has been a second half team all year and once again proved it outscoring Tar Heels 47 to 29 in the second half. Yeah, that's exactly how you get it done. Were any of us expecting Kansas to come back and win that game? I kind of imagined that North Carolina was probably just gonna not cruise maybe but there was a slight part of me I mean I know what we all know what happened last year in the in the title game right everyone was so excited it was the Baylor Gonzaga it was the two best teams all year long a regular season game that was supposed to happen that got canceled due to COVID like this was exactly what everybody had wanted all season long and the game couldn't have been worse Baylor just dominated Gonzaga from 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 the tip until the end. I mean, it was just complete and utter domination. And there was a small part of me that was thinking this game was going to go the same. I mean, just from a viewership standpoint, like, of course, the two, the, the last two championship games are just going to be blowouts. This sucks. Uh, but realistically, most of me thought and knew the second half Kansas Jayhawks would show up and kind of bring this back a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm the, the same boat as Tara. Slight percent of me was like, okay, UNC might be able to just walk away with it. But just having Baycott not 100%, I couldn't count the Jayhawks completely out, plus their core at guard. Um, Remy Martin and Ochi Ajabaji are played great defense on Caleb Love who has been dominating the entire tournament and having uh Baycott uh, go down with another uh injury I I was like oh yep everything's falling Kansas's way in the second half and uh they took advantage of it you know it has you know Tanner when you're 
you were talking earlier, you mentioned Baycott. It was really on his back as well as with Manic making several threes. It was on both of their, their backs how North Carolina built that lead with being up 40 to 25 and a half. But I mean, Baycott's halftime stat line, he had 12 points and 10 boards. He had a double-double at halftime. I, I want to take a moment to just talk about how ridiculous this man has been. Throughout the tournament, North Carolina played six games. Bacon had six double-doubles throughout the tournament. He matched David Robinson's D1 uh, Division I single-season record of 31 double-doubles throughout the entirety of the season. And in the tourney alone, he had 99 rebounds, which was the second all-time of any player in the history of the NCAA tournament. So it was, it's literally only one person that's ever been better than Baycott was on the boards this year. It, it was on his back, how they got here. And that was where they found a lot of their success in the first half. I mean, this guy's just been incredible. What is this guy's future? I mean, I don't know what else he needs to do to prove himself, right? You've mentioned the rebounding numbers. Just watch this guy play. Rebounding is an, is a skill. It's an art. Not only is he just – not only is he big, is he athletic, is he strong, but he knows the game. I mean, you talked about that first half he put up in the championship game was on one ankle. I mean, that's not, that's not pure strength. I mean, David McCormick is a very strong guy himself. He is just – he is just just knows how to play the game, reading the ball off the rim, long shots equal long rebounds. He just has a knack to find the ball. And that is a skill that you cannot teach. So I think he certainly played his way to getting a shot at the next level. And any team who could possibly swing him. I mean, you mentioned not even being in the conversation. You might be able to get him with a second round pick. I think that is incredible value and you absolutely need to take advantage of that. Armando Baycott will be a hell of an addition. Might be a little bit of a project, but will be a hell of an addition down the road for an NBA team. Yeah, you know, we said earlier, Baycott's dominance has been unparalleled. So any NBA team that'd be able to pick him up would be a great addition to, I mean, deepen that bench. We'll talk more about NBA teams later as that's the next thing to look forward to. But first, before we look forward to that, let's talk about how Kansas got back in this game. What were the things that the Jayhawks did out of the second half in order to win the championship? They played Kansas basketball. And you know what that means? That means turning up the pace. In the first half, it was all in the half court. Something I mentioned before, UNC was able to get the ball into Baycott forcing double teams. Everybody's turning their head, kicking it out to the Carolina shoot shooters like RJ Davis and Brady Manick. Like you were saying, Keegan, that all changed in the second half. Kansas was able to get out and run. They are one of the most athletic teams in college basketball. David McCormick, I mentioned how strong he is. He is one of the fastest and best rim running bigs. He turned it on in the second half when he was just able to beat Carolina down the floor. How many layups did, um, did Christian Braun get in transition? I mean, that is where Kansas was at their best, turning up the pace, and it was one that Carolina couldn't match. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's where the game really changed once they started playing their game. I mean, you said Tanner Bay Baycott and Manic, they're the two best players on North Carolina, or you can throw Caleb Love in there for sure. He's played a great uh set of games lately but they like to slow it down feed the big man get inside and kansas just running gundam in the second half and it was very clear uh with them putting up 47 points yeah it was it was weird because kind of off the tip kansas blitzed them right out the gate and did exactly what they wanted to do get in their face force some turnovers again get in transition jumped out to a 7-9, seven, 7-0 seven or 9-2 lead. And then literally from there, it seemed like Carolina took complete control. And then Kansas, in fact, was able to get back to that style of play. Like I said, I mean, that is when they're at their best, is when they are running up and down the floor. The big key to that comeback for Kansas was being able to get a stop and get a board. Because I want to talk about the rebounding differences in this game. 
because Kansas was storming back, getting stopped, grabbing boards, getting a transition, just like you guys were saying. That's how they got back in this game. But when it looked like Kansas had all of the momentum, somehow, some way, they just didn't seem to want to grab a rebound anymore. They went up five at one point there later in the second half, and it would take more than one hand to count all the offensive rebounds that they allowed North Carolina to get. North Carolina had 55 rebounds in this game. Kansas, 35. North Carolina out-rebounded them by 20. And that's not talking about the offensive glass specifically. North Carolina had 24 second-chance opportunities in this game, three of which came under 17 seconds, where there's that stretch where there was a deep three that bounced back, another shot you know, back when they were down three. Uh, those 24 offensive rebounds compared to Kansas's eight offensive rebounds. So if you want to talk about how did can no how did North Carolina build that lead, those by second chance opportunities. How did Kansas get back? It was by stopping those, and it was also how North Carolina was able to hang around once Kansas took all the momentum. What everyone's talking about right now is the last twenty seconds of this game. What was your thought as you're watching this game go down the stretch? And just the general lack of awareness from several parties, whether it be the coach not calling a timeout or I'll let someone else say it. What, what, were, what were some of the biggest things down the stretch of this game that helped decide the outcome? Well, you mentioned, you mentioned a big one, and that's Hubert Davis not calling a timeout. Now, I'm not totally against that with an asterisk because that's something that, I mean, that's been his coaching style letting his guys play it out. I mean, he's done it multiple times during this tournament run, right? So he trusts his players to figure it out. A lot of, uh, a lot of upperclassmen on this team, of course. But 10 seconds into the shot clock, the ball has not got inside the paint. The ball has gone back and forth around the perimeter. You, you can feel the panic in the offensive set from UNC. You absolutely have to call a timeout right there. He didn't, and what happened? Brady Manick threw it out of bounds, right? It was a complete and total scramble situation from the UNC, from North Carolina's offense because of the lack of, of structure. And that, of course, falls from the top. So that is, I think, number one, is not calling the timeout. And number two is, is a severe lack of awareness, as you said, Keegan, from Dwan Harris, the guard for Kansas. I mean, what are you doing? You are in an obvious foul situation. I guess you want to get the ball up the court, maybe play a little keep away, but you are near the sideline. How do you not just catch it and hold it and wait for the foul? I do not get it. And frankly, he is very lucky. Sam, what do you think is going through the mind of those players or that particular? Yeah, it was a fatal, fatal mistake that didn't end up being fatal. (laughs) No harm, no foul, right? I'm sure when he stepped out, he's like, yeah, I I ain't going back to Kansas. Now put me in the transfer portal. I'm I'm done. I'm not stepping another foot on Kansas campus. But it worked out. When I first saw it, you know, the quick whistle after he's, he gets the ball inbounds moving towards his basket. I felt like it was a foul. And then upon replay and upon the passing of time, I realized that he stepped out of bounds. I wanted to, I wanted to see that moment of realization on the Kansas faithful's face. So I was really disappointed that they didn't show that because uh, I felt like that would have been great to see. That would have been fantastic (laughs) to see like regardless, you know, whether or not, the game like they win the game or not if we got a camera of a bunch of bunch of kansas fans you know hands over their head jaws dropped that's an instant that was my reaction that was my reaction reaction. (laughs) because that burger cost me covering the spread that was my reaction now imagine if i was a diehard kansas fan oh my oh my god (laughs) i can only imagine talking about how fans feel because what happened next, you know, the, the ball's inbounded or on as, as the out of bounds play is running when North Carolina has the ball, you know, three seconds left or whatever, 
Uh, Mannix flying down the other side of the court and seemingly trips over nothing about the same spot that Baycott fell and uh, you know hurt his ankle. And so I don't know if I don't know if they're trying to get the ball to Manic out wide one on one, but they end up giving it to the guard who takes your shots. We all thought that was going in, right? Like the particular the the way the angle was. Yeah, bad, that was a whack it, angle. Because it, it was. It looked like it went in. It, 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 so it, ended, it, it ended up being an air ball just to the left, but from the camera angle, it looked like it was perfect. It did. But talking about fans' reactions after that happens. Put me in the mind of a North Carolina fan. Your team was up 15 on a number one seed in the national championship. You had just knocked off Duke. This is going to be one of the best national championship your school has ever had. And you blow it. You had, you, you have, you allowed the largest comeback in the history of the NCAA tournament. When your team, North Carolina was 21 and Oh, this season when they're winning at halftime and they let that happen. I mean, Iowa fans felt pretty bad when they're losing to Richmond, but are you like, are you down bad forever? Like how? No, 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 no. Get out of here. I would like to nip. Yes, this sucks. You beat Duke in the final four of the game before you effectively ended Coach K's career, the one who got all the all the headlines when Roy Williams, all he did was coach and win. And Coach K got all the headlines, all the recruits, all the, you know, all the extracurriculars. UNC was more consistent and they never, they, okay, I'm not gonna say they never, they're, they're a blue blood, right? But they just didn't get as much recognition as Duke. So knocking him out and officially ending the Coach K era, I'm telling you, I think, some North Carolina fans on Twitter were saying they could lose every game for 20 years and they would still just be the happiest Tar Heel alive because that was the biggest game in North Carolina history for them. Of course, recency bias, of course, exaggeration, but I still think that point is valid that this sucks, right? It it sucks Um, down bad forever. Um, I I think, I think the eight seed North Carolina who, who went through a couple, you know, who went through Baylor, who went through, their biggest rival ended coach k's career are a-okay oh uh, not they're probably not a-okay yet in a week or two they're a-okay yeah i th- i think they're they're just fine ending coach k's career now duke now duke is down bad <laughs> duke is they down have bad. officially <laughs> lost the title there is nothing they can do right now that could ever replace them as the best college basketball team in, in the state of north carolina you need a lot a lot over a long period of time to overtake North Carolina after this last loss in the final four, after of course, losing coach K's final home game Um, Duke fan. If I'm a Duke fan, I am down horrendous for a very long time because coach K has also gone too. So all of that, I'm way more down as a Duke fan than I am in North Carolina, but it does suck, right? It, It absolutely sucks. The one shining moment. That was something that we saw last night after the championship was over of the entire tournament. What are some of the things that either made it or some things that didn't make it? What's just the top moments that you really wanted to see in the one shining moment video? Being a Arkansas basketball fan, love me some mice all aboard the must bus preseason number one right now just saying there is room on the must bus there always is man there always is i loved what he said after um they beat gonzaga 74 to 68 and muscleman goes thank you to everyone that said we had no chance what a badass that's just a badass moment um they did show love to Musselman uh, in the official video, but would have loved to see that quote make it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they did. I think they did a, a nice job. One moment, kind of the craziest moment, I want to say, um, where it just kind of like what is going on type of moment was the end of that Arizona TCU game, where uh, 
the the no call got turned into a fast break layup, which got waved off and they had to go and look at it and they got the call right and had to go to overtime. And that specific moment, that, that fast break layup where he's trying to get it off in time, but wasn't able to, I felt like that would have been a really good addition. Like I said, kind of the, the one, like what is going on? This is crazy moment. Uh, I think they did a lot of things right though. Of course, I'm glad they got the cheerleader getting the ball in there. Um, a little, a little comic relief. Of course, you got Dougie Boy, the, the, the face of the tournament, uh, making a few threes, leading that St. Peter's uh, run. Of course, he is now in the transfer portal on his way to Iowa, I'm sure. But, uh, <laughs> um, there's Buffalo Wild Wings on campus. That's all I got to say. But, <laughs> but uh, some of, and of course, there was a big focus on the Final Four with it being, as we've said many times before, the Blue Blood Invitational. So I, I do think it was well done. Would have liked to see that Arizona moment. You guys did a great job talking about some of the biggest moments. I really don't have anything much more to add. I think, you know, we all knew that St. Peter's was going to be in there. I'm glad that we talked about Arkansas, talked about the Indiana cheerleader, Arizona TCU, something that wasn't in there that needed to be. Uh, but Tanner, something you talked about briefly was how we all knew this was the Blue Blood Invitational. Last episode... Uh, we talked about Dominique Foxworth, who put out a tweet talking about this is why we hate Blue Bloods being knocked off because the Cinderella teams mess up marquee games. That was essentially the tweet. And we, we ripped into Foxworth. So if, if you haven't listened to the past episode, got to go check it out because we had a great conversation about that. There was something that I saw that was very interesting considering Foxworth tweet because according to him we got everything that we wanted we got Duke North Carolina we got Villanova Kansas we got Kansas North Carolina so we would think that North Carolina North Carolina and Kansas that championship blue bloods a bunch of fans a lot of eyeballs on that game right we would imagine that the tickets for the championship game would be rather pricey but something that I saw, this game had some of the cheap, cheapest tickets on record for a championship game in history. There were several tickets the day of that you could buy. $34. Bro, that's crazy. That's and crazy. So you could get you could get like you could get like three tickets at Carver for that price. Like we went to uh, we went to uh, an, an Iowa Wild hockey game for like half that, right? <laughs> Wasn't it like eighteen bucks a ticket? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we could actually see the players. They weren't tiny specs. Bro, what is going on? That's crazy. That's crazy. I'd say thirty four dollars. And, dude, the, and yeah. just like the more I thought about that take, obviously North Carolina is a blue blood, but the notion that Cinderella stories ruin this. I mean, let's not act like North Carolina was a favorite. They were an eight seed, right? I mean, this team was not expected to do anything like sure. They're a big name, but this was not a very good basketball team throughout the regular season. So this like that they're ruining the big matchups. I mean, an eight seed versus a one seed. Take away the names. That is not a big matchup. So I again, yeah. There are more and more levels to why this is an absolutely putrid take. But mm. yeah, that, that that's my thought. Is like let, let's not <laughs> act like UNC was a favorite in this. Yeah, I love the fact that you know, just you know, we're we're probably you know ten days out from that tweet, and you know we're still finding ways to come back and dunk on it because it was that bad of a tweet. Uh, before we wrap up talking about the national championship, uh, Tanner, there's something that I know that you want to get off your chest and it's, it's about the final four most outstanding. Oh my God. I I'm giving you the floor. Tell us who won it and why do you have a problem with it? So first off, what I'm going to say is I actually have two things. One, I'm going to answer your question. I actually have a question for you guys, something that I want to bring up about the game, but Let's take a look at this. Player A, right? We're going to compare two players. Player A in the final four, because Ochai Agbaji was named most outstanding player of the entire final four, right? So that's two games. Of the entire, entire final four, Agbaji scored 33 points, 
got five rebounds and had two assists, put together a 35, a 33, five and two couple of games. I mean, that's good. Player B, who I will name in a second, put up 40 points, 19 rebounds, and one assist. And not to mention, he did so in 15 less minutes. Remarkably more efficient and down the stretch had the two biggest buckets of Kansas's season effectively putting away the game or should have had Dewan Harris not ran out of bounds. And that is David McCormick. He outplayed Achai Agbaji every single stat, the eye test, the stats, the clutch factor. He deserved to be the final four most outstanding player and just do that blind, uh, listen to the blind stats, right? He was just better. And frankly, it's a little bit annoying. I mean, can I say better myself? I was very surprised when Abaji ended up winning that, especially considering the fact that you had McCormick in the national championship going up against Baycott and sure one foot and everything, but still, you know, against all odds, Baycott continued to play dominant as he did. And McCormick still was the most outstanding player on Kansas. And so it, it, for, for a flurry of reasons, you know, less minutes, doing more in those fewer minutes, and doing so against better competition because Baycott was the best defender on the floor, and McCormick was still able to do that in the national championship. So it just doesn't make sense on several levels. Uh, Tanner, you said you had a question for us? Yes, and I'm very glad that you said Baycott because I actually did want to bring up a moment in the game right after Armando Baycott went down with uh, his, his second injury of the final four and, you know, only, only one of this game down the stretch because Kansas got the ball back and kind of held it out. They had a five on four in the down the stretch of the national championship oh, yeah. and held the ball out. I'm curious. What are your guys thoughts about that? Sign of sportsmanship, I guess. Uh, I guess. Right. It reminds me of a, uh... The commercial. Uh, <laughs> I touched the ball before without coach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Andrew, the ref did Good not job. call that. <laughs> bro, that. That's all that popped it in yeah, my head. Bro. I was this like, a I was like, I, I mean, I'm glad you said that. If you hadn't, I was going to. It's literally right out of that commercial. That's <laughs> awesome. It really is terrible commercial. Gets us all frustrated whenever we see it, but. I go back and forth on it all the time because this is the national championship and regard like you take advantage of everything you can. If, and if a guy gets injured, that sucks. That's terrible. Nobody wants a guy to get injured, but at the end of the day, you got to play cutthroat. And if that means going to basket, when a guy is writhing in pain on the other side of the court, then that's what that means. But then a more human aspect of me thinks, well, shit, that's kind of, that's kind of a crappy thing to do. It's not very sportsmanlike, but it's the national championship. So I go back and forth on it all the time. I, I liked what they did in, in holding up and, and I, I, I like that they did that. It was a good shot of sportsmanship, but I would not have blamed them if they had taken advantage of it. I'm glad they did what they did, but I would not have blamed them if they did. I see. I see. You know, I guess my thoughts personally was I thought it was levels of cringe we haven't seen since the commercial. Um, <laughs> I was, I mean, like you, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. I'm not, I'm not upset that they did it, but I'm just kind of like, really? And if yeah. I'm UNC, I almost would rather them score because they're saying, we don't even need to take advantage of this. We can still just beat you. <laughs> we can beat you five on five. Like it, it just seems so weird. Very, very, very weird. It was so, incredibly strange. So I'm glad we're all on the same page because that was an instant connection I made too. And I was just, I was just mind blown that that actually happened and they actually held it out. And <laughs> I just didn't get it. I, I, I get, get it, it if it wasn't, if it wasn't like postseason play, 
First couple like games of the season, sure. I'm like, sure, <laughs> let's roll with it. But the <laughs> national championship game, I'm like, bro, what's she doing? <laughs> they didn't even fret, dude. They're just like, that's okay. We'll beat you five on five. <laughs> like, damn. Yeah. It's like you would think the basketball in April means a little different like the basketball in November, but I say like, with the way you're playing. But that, you know, that's kind of wrapping the bow on this this present of a season for us the the college basketball season is over and it stinks <laughs> whenever whenever it a sucks. sports season ends it's like man it, it like really we, we had some fantastic games some great moments and now it's done and <laughs> we don't have it again you. for another every, half year. every year like just the minute that one shiny moment comes on i just get like damn like that college basketball is over already and this season a little bit special i mean i went going on the run to win the big 10 followed by complete and utter <laughs> complete and utter disappointment high to low peaks and valleys <laughs> just like that but it was a lot of fun i mean watching those games uh in the big 10 tournament was some of the most fun i've had watching sports in recent memory so uh so seeing seeing it end was a little bit sad for sure yeah yeah sam do you have anything just any final thoughts for college basketball? Because I'm sure if there's, you know, big transfer portals, you know, updates, you know, like Doug Eddard, if he went to LSU, he'd get, you know, 40 minutes a game because they don't have anybody. <laughs> so, like, we'll, we'll stay up to, ba- up to date with college basketball with any transfers and stuff. But for the most part, we're not, we're not going to talk about college basketball for a while. So, last thoughts? Yeah. Um the best time of the year has come to an end, unfortunately. Yeah. So sad. Um, I'm going to go in a deep, dark uh, place <laughs> of depression uh, because there's no more college basketball. Um, but Tanner said it, it was fun, even though the Hawks season came to a screeching, screeching spiderweb. Um, but luckily I had, <laughs> luckily, I see what luckily I had my hogs to support once my hawks got eliminated and who can't, who doesn't love us? Um, yeah. it'll be interesting. Gonzaga, Gonzaga doesn't yeah, love us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Nevada is not too happy about it. No, me. no. Yeah, <laughs> It was it was a fun season seeing Coach K go out against his bitter rival. That Twice, was <laughs> yeah. yeah, just it couldn't really ask for a better ending. Honestly, come down to the wire. Um, so it's it's sad to say goodbye, but we'll see you soon. Well put, my friend. That's with, beautiful. That is beautiful. <laughs> with that. That'll wrap it up for the college basketball season for the first half of this episode. We'll be back on the other side of this break, talk about some NBA awards and our questions of the episode. So we'll see you back right after this quick break. Welcome back from that quick break. Let's talk about the NBA, specifically who we think will be taking home some awards. We have just a few days left of the regular season of the NBA Let's break it down. Starting out with the MVP, then we'll move to the Rookie of the Year Award, and then the Defensive Player of the Year Award. Starting with MVP, who's taking home the Most Valuable Player of the Year Award? Nikola Jokic. He's going back-to-back. Dude's been balling this season, averaging 26.5 points, 13.6 boards, 8 assists. I mean, dude's just been getting his all season, been doing it all year long and helping the Nuggets to be a competent team, a good team. So I got Nikola Jokic going back to back. Sam, that's a great pick, my friend. I I have tried to hold on to Embiid for MVP. I, I, I have officially let it go. I, I can't deny what Jokic is doing right now. Sam, you read, the, you read the stats, almost 27 points a game, over 13 boards, eight assists. As a seven or a 6'11", he listed as 6'11 here, basically a seven-footer doing this. Um, he has the Nuggets sitting at the five seed at 47 and 32 in the West without Jamal Murray, 
without Michael Porter Jr. This team is all Nikola Jokic. And that five spot should say Nikola Jokic and not Nuggets. He is doing everything (laughs) for them. And that is why he is MVP. Not to mention the efficiency, something that he has an advantage over most people in that area too. I mean, I cannot deny it any longer. Nikola Jokic is, should be a back-to-back MVP. Sam, you had a great pick. Tanner, you had a great start there talking about how you were hanging on to Embiid as long as possible. Pretty much as was I, because, you know, we we don't like to see back-to-back award winners. We like to see something new. And, like, Giannis this week having two 40-point games at the start of the week, he started to make things interesting. Maybe he'll hop back into the conversation, but no. No one can make a comeback here against Nikola Jokic. He's having a, a crazy season, like you guys have been saying. He's he's having the highest single-season PR ever. He's, he's the first player in the last 50 seasons to be in the top 10 in points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, and field goal percentage. Like, he's having one of the greatest seasons, period. And... I mean, being in the top 10 in assists per game from the center position and the efficiency at which he's scoring, uh, the last seven games, he has scored uh, 33 points a game on 70% shooting from the field. No one has ever scored more points on 70% shooting over a seven game span ever. And not even Wilt. Like whenever you're breaking Wilt records, you know you're doing something good. And we all have Nikola Jokic, and the odds reflect it. Uh, Nikola Jokic is minus 300 as of right now. He is a heavy favorite, and for good reason. It was a race, and not anymore. Let's move over to the Rookie of the Year award. Who's taking this one home? I'll start with this one. I think I was debating between two people, but I'm going to go the route of Scotty Barnes. I think he is going to be your rookie of the year. You take a look at the stats, 15.3 points per game, 7.6 rebounds per game, and 3.5 assists per game on 49% shooting and 30% from beyond the arc. That is a 16.2 per. Those are really good numbers, not to mention he is among the league leaders in minutes per game and is one of the reasons why the Toronto Raptors are kind of one of the quiet surprises of the NBA so far, launching their way all the way up to the five seed and the team no one's talking about in a large part because of significant contributions from their rookie, Scotty Barnes. So he would be my rookie of the year. There, I I got the same thing. It's I was looking between Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley and their, their statistics are rather similar. So if those two guys are the front runners for a rookie of the year award, which the odds currently show them to be, what's the thing that you can finally do to break the tie? And that's look at the standings. Scotty Barnes has the rappers at the five and Evan Mobley with the Cavs at the seven. That's kind of the tiebreaker for me. It's, this is, this is going to be a really close race between those two guys. Um, and that's, that's the way I'm thinking anyway, Sam, you might have somebody else. But between Scotty and Mobley, I think Barnes takes home the rookie of the year. Sam, who do you have? I actually don't have Mobley or Barnes. I actually have I actually have Kate Cunningham. He's been my pick since the start of the season, has been consistent all season. I mean, he's averaging 5.5 assists to players on the Pistons. Maybe three, maybe three players on the Pistons. Like, who is he? He's got to be just passing himself. There's... Luka Garza, baby. Come on. Hey, hey. Sadiq Bay had a 50-point go. game. You got to show some respect. But just obviously, I see the whole Sky Barnes helping the Raptors. But he also has some talent surrounding him, and yeah. Kate just doesn't. <laughs> but let's put it how it is um i think he's been the best rookie um obviously his team success doesn't is gonna play a factor and i think 
that will affect his uh his runnership in this award, but I think Kate Cunningham has been the best rookie of the year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Keegan, it's interesting that you, you, you said it was a, a two-man race because when I said I was debating between two people, Cade was actually the other person I was thinking of. Um, mm. And he's, I mean, he's leading rookies in scoring right now at over 17 a game. Uh, I guess, you know, that can have, it's a double-edged sword when you don't have, ta- you know, talented teammates, you're obviously going to score a little bit more, but, uh, but, He's been certainly impressive, just just not quite Scotty Barnes. He's really, really impressed me this year. Yeah. The uh, the current odds for Rookie of the Year, uh, Cade Cunningham is plus 700. Scotty Barnes is plus 225. And Evan Mobley, a solid favorite at minus 330. So in the odds of the minus? bookmaker, minus 330 for Evan Mobley. So the, book, the odds makers think that Mobley has a better chance of winning the Rookie of the Year than Jokic has winning the MVP. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. I th- that like, is crazy. It's a, yeah. It, uh, I do also want to show love to one more person. I don't think he's in the same conversation as the other three. But can we get some love for Franz Wagner? This no. fool is averaging 15.4 points per game, 4.6 rebounds per game, and three assists per game, including 47% from the field and 35% from, from three. A similar scoring average – I mean, 15.4 more, actually, a higher scoring average than Scotty Barnes. I know the teams play a factor, but uh, a really promising start, a really promising rookie year for Franz Wagner. That's true. Sam, is there any other rookies that you might like to show some love to? Of course, I got to show love <laughs> to my guy, Josh Giddy. Um, honestly, I was not high on him at all coming into the season. Um, but he has uh, shown me why we took it. We took him at uh, number six. Unfortunately, he's uh, down for a season. Not that we are going to be in postseason <laughs> play, but averaging 12.5 points, 7.8 boards, um, and 6.4 assists. Uh, points of rebounds are second uh, in the rookie standings. So have gotten a lot of production from him cu- coming over from Australia. So shout out my guy, Josh Giddy has uh, proven uh, me wrong for sure. He's going to be a triple double. He's going to be a walking triple double. Once he gets a little bit bigger, a little bit faster and learns the NBA game a little bit more, he is absolutely going to be a walking triple double. Moving on to the last one that we're going to be picking today. Defensive player of the year award. This one's interesting because there is no clear favorite here. What do you have for a defensive player of the year? Yeah, I, I have one of those. And I actually have the favorite. Um, I got Marcus Smart. He is averaging 1.7 steals a game and holding players to f- around 45% from the field. Dude's been locked down. That's kind of his uh, niche in the NBA. And he's just proving again why he's one of the best defenders in the league this year. That's a pretty good pick. Tanner, who do you have? I have, I do have one of those four. I'm going to go a little different. I actually have Mikel Bridges from, from Phoenix. Uh, he doesn't quite have the steel numbers that, uh, that Marcus Smart does. He's only sitting at about 1.2 per game. Still very good. Um, the consistency is there. He leads the league in games played. He's played in 78 games this year. Um, but the defensive rating, he is currently fifth in the league in defensive rating and he is behind Kyle Lowry, Julius Randle, Carl Anthony Towns and Bobby Portis. None of which are guys that you mentioned that are ahead of them ahead of him in the odds. He is also he takes a majority of the perimeter defense for Phoenix. I mean, he is the the main perimeter defender. He'll take the opposing team's best player and he is one of the main reasons why the Phoenix Suns are the third best defensive team in the league, according to defensive rating, or they're tied for second with Golden State. So not only is the consistency there, the steal numbers are there, the defensive rating is there, and the importance to, to one of the league's best defenses there. Not to mention he's just a physical freak on defense. I mean, you see how long this dude's arms are. He, I mean, it looks unnatural when he's walking on the floor, his arms go down to like his knees. It is insane. The dude just gets deflections. Like it's nobody's business. And he's my defensive player of the year. That's 
I, it's almost as if you can't go wrong here as long as you're choosing one of those front, you know, first four guys. Because Sam, you make a great argument. Tanner, you make another great argument. And I hope I can just match that because I got another guy. Uh, I got Bam Adebayo. He's he's been the cornerstone of the fourth best defense in the league. Uh, the Miami Heat are ranked fourth in the league in defensive rating. And Bam has been playing his butt off as expected in being in this race. Uh, Bam is, uh, he's averaging 1.4 steals a game and averaging a block a game. So from the center position, getting a steal and a half a game, that's pretty impressive. But as, as being the cornerstone of one of the best defenses in the league and being the cornerstone of the one seed in the East, that's the reason why I have him is taking home the defensive player of the year award. I think in all of our minds, it's pretty much just please not go bare. Like it's <laughs> like no disrespect to Rudy and all. Um, I'll leave the disrespect, no, disrespect for if those are our picks. Let us know what you have for MVP, rookie of the year, and defensive player of the year. To wrap up the episode, we got a few questions. The first one from Ryan Kearney. Which artist do you want to see perform live? Yeah, so interesting timing uh, here. I'm actually going to a country music festival down in Florida this weekend. And two guys I've always wanted to see um, perform live will actually be there. And that's Morgan Wallen and Thomas Rhett. Um, so those are, those are my answers for this one. Super excited to see them this weekend. Yeah, I mean, uh, if I know you, that's about as good as it gets. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that should be a ton of fun. Uh, an artist I I want to see, um, kind of a new artist, came on to uh, in mainstream popularity pretty recently. I really want to see Kid Leroy in person. I just really like his music. I think it's super vibey, and I think it would be a ton of fun to just to to, to listen to that live don't really have a, a better explanation than that. I like his music. I think it's by me. I think it'd be fun to watch live. So Kid Leroy is my answer. I like those answers. Uh, to, to answer the question, uh, a band that I loved when I was younger and has still made music over the last few years, not as much. Um, I was really big into Imagine Dragons. And so if I had to pick one, um, I think that would probably be it. But I'm just, uh, the next question we have, best Alcoholic beverage to have while watching sports. This one comes from Dana Riley. Um, I think I think this one is is I'm not going to have a unique answer here. For me, it's beer, um, <laughs> for a couple of reasons. I mean, I, I think there's a factor of a lot of the time some, or some of the time I'm actually at a bar, and when I'm at a bar, I just usually get a beer because it's the easiest, it's the most consistent from bar to bar. Very um, cheap. It's yeah, it's cheaper. Uh, and then when I'm watching it, you know, if I'm at my apartment or something, it's just easier. You don't have to make it. You don't have to get a mixer. And when I'm watching sports, I tend to be on the animated side so I can give a little cheer. I can give a little, you know, emotion into it and not spill. Uh, so I, I think for all of those reasons, the cost effective, it's easy and it's, uh, it's a little bit harder to spill for all of those. Uh, it's, it's beer for me. So what's your beer of choice? I'm curious. Um, I usually have two. If I'm wanting something lighter, it's Miller light. Um, can't beat 96 calories, uh, for that, with, with that taste. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely beautiful ratio there. And then probably my overall favorite, but I don't drink it as much because it is a little heavier as blue moon. Um, that, that beautiful Valencia orange peel fruit in, is delicious so uh yeah those are my go-to one of those two usually with sports it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be mode like yeah i'm in, i'm in the same boat i'm going with the cheaper option um and beer and beer for me is Michelob ultra can't can't beat a nice cold beer watching sports Which, so. you know how i said you can't beat the 96 calories you can beat it by one because Michelob yeah. ultra is 95 calories <laughs> Son. I'm, I'm the odd man out here. Uh, I'm not a beer guy. Uh, so I'll just you know, go with my favorite mix here. Uh, I'm a big whiskey guy. That's what I like most. And uh, lately I've been really big into some Apple Crown Royal and Sprite. 
the last question. What's the best advice your parents ever gave you? And Sam, this one comes from your parent. This one comes from Carol. You gotta kick us off now. You absolutely yeah. have to, to share this. And, and it has to be from Carol too. Oh yeah. Um, so my parents, especially Carol, likes to keep it short and sweet. And every time, her best advice I remember it to this day is three simple words: "Don't be stupid." That's the best advice she's ever given me. I still think of it today, so that that's got to be my answer here. Yeah, man. Before doing something, is this something a stupid person does? It's it's yeah. just it's easy. It's easy. I have something a little more specific. It was having to do with a a large decision in my life, and it was where to go to college because I grew up a huge Iowa or I grew up a huge Iowa fan, but grew up on the other side of the country. And when it came time to choose my college, most of me wanted to go to Iowa, but I was just unsure being so far from home, being so, so far from everybody and everything I knew. And I kind of, I had this conversation with my parents because I was touring a lot of colleges that were near me to be closer to home. And uh, my parents were the ones that talked to me and convinced me, look, it's pretty clear you want to go to Iowa. So do it, just do it. And we'll deal with the rest later. It seems like it's where you want to be. And I mean, it was, it was the best, uh, it was the best advice ever. It was the greatest decision ever. I mean, all the people, the experience I got to have because of it, I, I could not be happier. So specifically in that scenario, it's when my parents convinced me or not convinced me, but kind of eased the apprehensions towards going to school at the University of Iowa. I like it. I, I, I also have something a little bit different. Uh, I'm somebody just kind of generally, I'm someone I can often get in my own head. And when I'm making decisions, sometimes, well, a lot of the time, I, I take what, I take other people into consideration when I make a decision that affects other people. And far too often, don't take myself into consideration. So the best advice that I've ever gotten from my parents, uh, this is one that's been rather recently, and this just applies to making big decisions. Decide something you'll be happy with. Make a decision you can live with. And that's the best advice my parents have ever given me. And Look at that. We're getting deep here. We're getting deep here on Crunch Time. Sam, I wish your mom would have told me that because betting Kansas minus four that is something a <laughs> stupid person does and damn it I was stupid that's gonna go ahead and wrap it up for episode 48 make sure to throw us a follow on twitter tiktok and instagram at crunch time underscore pod the clock is now run out on this episode we'll see you in the next one on crunch time